0: Welcome to the Holy Sparks podcast. Our mission is to illuminate the brightest lights in the Jewish world and beyond so that we elevate the Holy Sparks within us and make the world around us a better place. I'm your host, Saul Kay. Grab a cup of tea, your favorite beverage, sit back and relax and enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome to the first Episode of the Holy Sparks podcast. I am so excited about our first guest. Without further ado, let me introduce him properly. Rabbi Josh Warshawski is a nationally touring Jewish musician, song leader, composer and educator who has shared his original melodies and teachings with over 150 Jewish communities throughout the United States, Canada, the UK and Israel. Josh seeks to build intentional praying communities and composes melodies to open up new possibilities for understanding the deep meaning of the words of our tradition. He was ordained in May 2019 from the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies in LA. Rabbi Josh is a sought after teacher. He served as the rabbi in residence of the Solomon Schechter Day School of Metropolitan Chicago from 2020 to 2023, and is a core educator of Song Leader Bootcamp. He has spent the last 22 summers at Camp Ramah in Wisconsin and the last 11 summers teaching and performing at Ramah camps across the country. He's released five albums of Jewish music and has been featured on eight anthology publications. Originally from Deerfield, Illinois, Josh spent the last decade in New York, LA and Israel. He now lives in Columbus, Ohio with his wife, Adina and their beautiful daughter, Jonah. Josh's mission statement is to help people find a spiritual and meaningful home for themselves in order to live lives filled with purpose. He is guided and motivated by his belief that human beings are spiritual seekers and meaning makers. So ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Josh Warshawski. Oh let's go, louder in the back, in the back, let's go, let's go, that's how we do it, that's how we do it. (laughs) Hello. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for that.
1: How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm so. I've never gotten applause coming into a Zoom room before. It's
0: (laughs) I I recommend listening to that daily. Just when you get out of bed, just put it on. You know, I mean, there's a famous saying from the Talmud that, you know, when you get out of bed and put your feet on the floor, 10,000 angels erupt into applause. So I always like to imagine them in a stadium. So, welcome, my friend. Really good to see you. And uh, do. I'm so excited to introduce you to uh, a new and growing audience and to see where this goes. So did I miss anything in your intro? I just wanted to make sure I covered all the bases there.
1: That was pretty great. It's nice to get the intro and the mission state, the bio and the mission statement, too. That's important to me. Yeah,
0: I love it. I love it. Well, um, you know what, since this is the very first episode of the Holy Sparks podcast, let's say Shehekhiana because it is the first. Baruch Eloheinu melech haolam Shehechianu lazman hazeh Amen! In case you've never heard that prayer before and you, and you aren't familiar with the Hebrew, that's basically thanking God for bringing us to this season, to this moment. And it's a great thing to say when you do something for the first time. So thank you for that. And with that, let's start at the top. Tell everyone a little bit about how you grew up, and your early years of Jewish life.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, it's pretty exciting to be first guest. I'm so happy to be here with you. Uh, I hope we get at some point to talking about where we met and all that good stuff too. Um, but I uh, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs um, at a conservative Jewish synagogue. Um, and a family that went to synagogue every week, and uh, I went to a Jewish day school, and I I loved getting to be at, in the community that I grew up in. Uh, it was a synagogue that did not have a cantor, so when I was growing up, the services were just led by whoever happened to be volunteering that week, so we got experience with a lot of different people leading, and I got to see my dad and others would get up to the, to the Bima, to the to center. that the center to uh, to lead, and it was a really wonderful way to learn a lot of different melodies. I feel like I kind of learned the melodies and the leadership of our tradition just kind of by osmosis, just sitting in the pews. Um, I loved it. I loved Jewish music. I loved the Hebrew language. I would uh, run around the halls at my day school uh, singing. A lot of music all the time i was in the fourth and fifth grade choir with an incredible music teacher her name was raz epstein and she taught me like the basic classics of our, our jewish canon holiday music israeli folk music uh, all these things that sort of started as the foundation of my my jewish musical background and uh it was from there that i began to love getting to sing and, and play and and love jewish text and the words of our tradition
0: well i love it so wait a second there was no cantor at your shul so yeah. um it was lay led essentially. Is what you're saying?
1: We yeah. had a rabbi, but nobody led. Nobody led the musical aspects of the service. Just various different lay people.
0: Yeah. Okay, and then I'm guessing no instruments at that time in history. Also, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about some of your early musical influences.
1: I uh, I was a kid growing up in the. In the late '90s, early 2000s, so like the era of all that like acoustics, singer songwriter pop, and also I I didn't know so much Jewish music. So the Jewish music of my childhood was, as I mentioned, like Israeli folk music and holiday music, and then like Debbie Friedman, Rick Recht, Craig Taubman, and Shlomo Karbach. That was like what I, I that was what I knew of Jewish music at the time. Um, so that those were the ones that I first listened to. I saw Debbie Friedman in concert when I was a kid. Rick Recht came to my summer camp. I knew the music of Craig Taubman sort of in Implicitly, but didn't know it was his because nothing had a- uh, attributions at my synagogue when we were growing up. People just sang melodies, um so that was just how I was just immersed in it from the beginning without really knowing where much, much of it came from.
0: Oh, interesting. And so uh, it sounds like a lot of your early, you know, musical influences were really from the Jewish tradition. Or did you ever have a a moment in your life where you thought, yeah, maybe I will be a rock star? Maybe you know, maybe that's my path.
1: I uh, I don't think I ever had a moment where I thought I was gonna be a rock star. I started playing guitar when I was ten years old because my dad picked up a guitar at age forty to play for my mom's birthday. And I thought that was cool. So I picked up a guitar also and started taking lessons. And I would play like all those singer-songwriter songs, and I you know, I loved that like Dave Matthews band and John Mayer and Death Cab for Cutie and all those kind of music. Um, but I never really imagined that it was gonna go anywhere. I wrote like angsty teen pop songs when I was a kid. Um but I, yeah, I really just, I liked singing and I liked playing. I would bring my guitar to camp, but I didn't never think that was going to be uh, something that I was going to do with my life.
0: Mm, so interesting. Yeah, we share, the, we share all three of those influences for sure. Um, yeah. So tell me about, like, obviously you went to you know Ramah summer camp as a kid, but where was there a moment or particularly a person that sort of turned on the switch for you where you thought, you know, maybe I will become a rabbi? Was there a moment or was it a gradual progression for you?
1: I think it was a a little bit of both. When I was in college, I went to the Jewish Theological Seminary for undergrad. They have a joint program with Columbia University. It's called List College. Um, so I went there because I, I went to Jewish day school. I went to Jewish high school. And I went to Camp Burma, and I just I loved getting to, to study and be immersed in our tradition. And I wanted to keep going. I didn't want it to end. So I went there for school. And it's right in the middle of New York City. So they send out job opportunities in the area of different synagogues that need this or that. And there was a synagogue in South Orange, New Jersey, that was looking for a Hebrew school music teacher. And I said, oh, well, I play guitar. And I went to Jewish summer camp, and I could probably do that. So I started as the music teacher at Bethel in South Orange, New Jersey. And um, I loved getting to play with the kids. I loved getting to lead tefillah and lead, lead prayer and get to sing with all of them. But again, my influences were just a few musicians. So I thought that was really all that Jewish music was. Um, and that first year, Craig Taubman came to the synagogue to do a concert. And I got to prepare the kids with all of his music and get to get to sing with him on stage. And that was where I thought, wow, this is this is really cool that there are people who really do this and go around to different places and sing. Um, and then at the same time, I began to start writing my own Jewish music because I, I didn't know that there was so much Jewish music out there. I said, oh, here's a here's a prayer in the Siddur that I, I wish had a new melody. I'll just write one, I guess. So I, I tried to start writing music and I was invited to come to this conference, uh, this very small, conference in St. Louis in 2010 called song Boot bootcamp, which I think was where I met you for the first time at that very first one. And I was sort of exposed to this whole world of Jewish music and realizing that there's so much content and so much depth to it and so much beauty and all this, this whole community of people who are trying to do this work. Um, And so I loved that. And then I also loved getting to study texts and getting to apply some of this musical tradition to use music as a medium to open people up to the words and the teachings of our tradition. So I decided that maybe rabbinical school might be a good direction. I I didn't think that music was always going to be a part of it, that I was going to go out and be a professional musician, but I I knew that I wanted to be able to teach and to share uh, in, in rabbinic wisdom.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah, that was definitely a quintessential meeting of so many people, and it really like, yeah. launched so many careers. And it, it inter- I, I knew nothing of the sort of camper mob world at that time, and that was kind of a nice bridge as well. So, yeah, definitely yeah. shout out to SLBC, which is Song Leader Bootcamp. If you're listening and you're not familiar, uh by Rick Rekt. So amazing. Okay, so I know. This may seem obvious because you grew up in the movement but was there a conscious choice hey i'm gonna choose to align with the conservative movement in terms of my smicha etc as opposed to reform or or orthodox and talk about that a little bit
1: yeah when i so i was in undergrad at the jewish theological seminary already they have sort of one of the two flagship rabbinical schools the conservative movement and i was living in new york and really loving getting to be there and so when i first applied to rabbinical school i guess i I only really applied to the jewish Theological seminary because i was living in new york and i really liked it and i was already at the school and i was majoring in in talmud in my undergrad and talmud and rabbinics and i i wanted to keep getting to study with the professors and teachers there um if it had probably been a few years later i might have explored some of the other institutions uh I, I didn't have so much familiarity with the Reform movement at that point. I, I started to get involved with Havana Shira, which is another Jewish music conference uh, a couple of years after that, and getting to know and find a, a deep love and respect for, for that movement as well. Uh, and I had some friends who'd gone to Hebrew College in Boston, which is non-denominational, and the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College in Philly. But uh, none of them were really um, totally aligned with the way that I was already uh, embedded in that, in that faith tradition and, and stream. So I I only applied to JTS and I enrolled there and I was very excited to get to go there. But I wanted to take a year off because um, nine years, four years of undergrad and then five years of medical school all in one place felt like too long of a time to be in one place. So I was going to take a year off and do some music and teaching around New York. And a synagogue in Los Angeles reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to be our artist in residence for a year? And I said, I don't know what that is. And they said, neither do we, but come up for a year and we'll figure it out. And so I went out there and I had such an amazing time with this community and fell in love with Los Angeles and the Los Angeles Jewish community and all the teachers and musicians and rabbis that were out there. I decided to to switch and, and go to the Ziegler Rabbinical School, which is the conservative movement school out on the West Coast. It's got more of a West Coast style to it. Um, that's where I ended up.
0: I love it. And uh, this is something I was going to ask later in the interview, but since we're on topic, you know, how do you see, since you're now in between and sort of moving throughout the different worlds, reform conservative, how do you really see your role in terms of bridging, connecting, you know, interaction of those worlds?
1: It's an interesting question, because I, you know, I traveled to synagogues all over the country, and I've been doing that for almost 10 years at this point, uh, eight, eight or nine years or so. And last year was actually the first year I ever went to a reform congregation for an Artisan Residence Weekend. And I just, the oh. conservative community were the people that I knew, and the rabbis who are already familiar with my with my work, and especially because I've been going to the Ramah camps, which are all connected to the conservative movement. Those were just the communities that hired me. And I just recently be able, have been able to get to go to some reform communities also. And I, I think across the board, like I said in the mission statement, is that people are searching for meaning, and they're searching for spirituality, and we have it in our tradition. Uh, it just sometimes needs to be translated, because it's foreign, not just because it's in a Hebrew language, but because it's buried in texts or buried in in wisdom that hasn't been opened up in many, many years, or buried in the Siddur, that we read the same words every week, and how do we be able to find meaning and inspiration from them? So I, I, I'm hoping to help people begin to understand that the search that they have in their hearts can uh, can be found within our tradition and that's reform that's conservative that's non-denominational that's anybody i think can find wisdom here um, if they have the right person who's trying to share it with them so i'm hoping to be able to to be that person for as many communities and people as possible to help people find meaning in our tradition and use music as a medium to get there it's a
0: universal language i love it i love it. there's definitely i find that too people are just Especially now, although I feel like I've been saying that for years. Especially this year, people are hungry for spiritual growth. Especially now, and then something else. Especially now, so it's always now. Um, yeah. So talk about you know, for people that are unfamiliar with you know, what is life like as a traveling you know rabbi music song leader? What is a typical month like for you? Like kind of, a, I know every month is different, but just in general, like what does it look like? So people can kind of see, hey, if I if I go down the the, the Rabbi Josh route here's what I can expect my life to look like a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, so I, when I chose this path, I had no idea what it was going to be like. I kind of made it up for myself. Uh, when I went to rabbinical school, I wasn't, I was assuming that I would go into a, a pulpit or do a day school or something. I, I didn't think that this would be a possibility. Um, and I had a traditional rabbinic internship in Los Angeles where I was at a synagogue. It was really wonderful. I was working with an amazing rabbi, Rabbi Richard Cameras, at Shomri Torah in West Hills. And it was just a really wonderful congregation, a wonderful community. But I was also traveling to different communities all around the country at the same time. And I realized that there was something really powerful about getting to do that work. So my last year of rabbinical school, you're supposed to have another internship. And I was talking to my dean about all these thoughts that I was having. And he said, Oh, why don't we make your internship traveling to communities around the country and see if that's something that you might want to consider in the rabbinate? I said, can we do that? And he said, I'm the dean, we could do it if we want. (laughs) So, So my internship that year, I had a mentor in Los Angeles who was sort of processing everything with me, but I was traveling full time while I was finishing up school to communities all over. And i realized that that was how i wanted to to start my rabbinate so i was ordained in 2019 and i had about eight months of traveling to communities all over it was incredible i was building amazing relationships and doing the work and then it was march 2020 and everything got shut down and i had about two years of two and a half years of trying to connect with communities virtually and sitting here in my basement reaching out to as many people as i possibly could and this year is the first year I feel like we're finally getting back to what it could look like to, to build and to to get together in person and to sing. So um, most months I, I have one or two residencies in, in different communities. I like to travel. Um, So I arrive on Thursdays so that Thursday night we can gather with people in the community, not just on Shabbat. So it doesn't just feel like somebody drops in and then they leave. We get to sing some of the melodies and also just get to gather and feel what it's like to sing because there's an energy that happens when you sing together in person. Mm -hmm. So just to feel that and immerse ourselves in it and share some of the melodies we're going to use that might be unfamiliar to people so that by the time we get together on Shabbat, it already feels like they're coming from the community itself. Mm -hmm. And we're able to build from that and immerse ourselves in that. And that allows us to hopefully have those things be much more longer lasting than if I just drop in on Shabbat and then leave. Um, but I have a lot of meetings to, to plan all those different weekends. I try and be very intentional and process oriented, chatting with rabbis and cantors and educators to make things be really as successful as they possibly can. I'm doing some teaching and things like that. Um, and, uh, and so I, I, most of it is preparing to be able to, to serve and teach and doing some writing and sharing. Um, but it's really, it's really exciting and a fascinating way to see and explore Jewish life all over the country
0: i love it so it sounds like about two weekends a month you're traveling and the rest of the time you're home and i also want to say mazel tov on becoming a father definitely about that how is that you know uh, how is that from a personal note and then also how has that affected the work that you do and you're envisioning you know your your lifestyle moving forward
1: it's uh it's been really great uh my daughter is seven months old right now and it's been the most wonderful and exciting amazing experience Um, when she was born in July, we took some I took some time off to just be together with our family and not get on a plane for about eight weeks. And that was really special and wonderful. It was the first time I hadn't gotten on a plane in that long in a while, except for COVID. Um, And before that, I was traveling about two or three weekends a month and also to day schools around the country. So sometimes during the week also. So it was, it was a lot this year. I decided I was going to do one residency a month, plus the work that I'm doing at the day school in Chicago that you mentioned, where I'm there two or three days a month in person doing some, some teaching and, and support on the side virtually besides that. And that felt pretty manageable. It's about six or seven nights away a month. Um, so next year and beyond, we're, I'm hoping to keep it to about two weekends out of every six, it's like one and a half a month, mm-hmm. and be able to begin to build a, a community also virtually online with all the communities that I've been to and be able to continue some of the teaching and learning together to continue to build those relationships, um, to continue to engage in some of this conversation about how we can create meaning and be able to use some of these melodies to have some more time to, to sit and write and work. Uh, but it also means that, you know, when I'm home, I'm, I'm really home. I don't have to be on the BIMA in and, and, and a pulpit. I get to be with my family and sit in the pews. I have a my daughter's in daycare, but I have a one day a week that's just my day. Uh, mm-hmm. So we just go on adventures. And that's been a really special balance and, and choice that we've been able
0: to make, uh, which I'm really grateful for. Sweet. Well, as, as a wise parent once told me right when I became a parent, he said, you know, the days are long, but the years are short. So be as much time as you can with your kiddos, you know, mm-hmm. so that's really. Sweet. That. So. Uh, let me ask you. I know you're, you know, uh, everything's still new, and you know, you're a parent, and you're kind of like working out the all the logistics of all that. But <clears throat> do you see yourself maybe at some point becoming a congregational rabbi, or do you feel like you know what this is my path I'm on, and and so I that. I, I do.
1: I think yeah. I've been thinking about it for a few years now. And originally the goal was to do this for a couple of years and see what happens. Um, I, I feel kind of like this is really the first year that we've been able to really jump into the work wholeheartedly because of COVID and because of the way that everything happened with my ordination, just only eight months before everything got shut down again. So this year was in some ways just year one. So uh, I'm really excited and looking forward to getting to do this work for a couple more years. But I think that the goal would be in the eventual model is to, to sort of flip the model where I'll be based in one community and building a prayer and music laboratory in that space where people can come and experience what it is that we're doing and the methodologies and the practice and the relationship building and the music and then share out in different places and getting to go back to their communities and do that, um, but also be able to build something long term as opposed to you know go into one community and then leaving. I'm hopeful that those places that I go to we'll continue the things that we're doing um but to be able to be in one place and plant there and get to do that work long term i think is uh is really important so uh, i'm hoping it, it, a couple years down the road that that definitely
0: is is for sure in the cards i love it all right no job offers yet people be patient, be patient. <laughs> he's he's not available yet but soon soon. <laughs> no, that's really sweet and i i agree i think that you know i mean having toured in in the secular world and jewish world for years and years, yeah. years and years like this whole one-off thing like that's that's nice for a time it's nice to kind of get your things together but when you really want to cultivate community you gotta like plant an anchor and then just develop those relationships which take time and which uh take intentionality for sure
1: i know you you and Alana are doing that at a synagogue in in, in the north Cal, right
0: yeah, we are. So, uh, you know, the, the show about you, but just what Ilana does is she is the, the cantor at Peninsula Temple Bethel. it's a reform right. shul here in Silicon Valley, San Mateo. And yeah, we do some work there. I do some work with my kids' day school, which has been just absolutely delight for my heart wow. to, to see my kids in the wild. You know, because as a parent, you'll 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 learn this. Like over time, whenever your you know daughter sees you, it's like she's instantly fixated on you. But now, getting to see my kids like do their thing in the world and lead That's prayer so nice. with them is like oh, it's just the greatest. That's um, amazing. Yeah. So, but I I have found over the years that really you know. I mean, we've seen kids from preschool through B'nai mitzvah now getting married and like having that depth and length of relationship is just really right. a sweet thing. So, okay, but enough about me. Let's talk about you. So, <laughs> tell me, like, what do you what projects are you working on right now, and, and what's kind of coming up? What would you like to promote and tell people about?
1: So, we just uh, over the last year released two albums. We uh, we have Chavirayin Ryan volumes two and three. The Chavirein Project, the words Chavirein means friends, let us bless. They come from the Grace After Meals, Berkat zone and when we recorded the first album, we did it live because I really wanted to capture the energy and feeling of what it's like to build something together live, musically, and it was really incredible. I had no idea what it was going to be like, and uh, it was Beyond, I uh, gathered just very dear friends together to make music and to give gratitude and sing out. So we did that again for the the next two albums. Uh, we recorded them. We're supposed to record in March twenty twenty. We ended up having to pause and recorded it in May twenty twenty one. But those just came out. It was a, a whole a seven song album of just Shabbat songs, and then a couple other songs related to a variety of different themes and time periods. Um, but of Volume Four is in the works. We're uh, we're working out some new melodies and figuring out when we're going to get together to do that. Um, and i'm also thinking a lot about uh, different kinds of ways to to engage with some of the words of our tradition um, i'm working on some hybrid psalms uh, which is suketa zimrah the the morning service that we have every single morning it's called Sukhita is Verses of Song. Mm -hmm. And it's really just a a bunch of different hybrid psalms, right? There's 150 psalms. And I think that there's sort of the breadth of all human emotion can be found within the psalms. And I believe that if we can read through them and, and find the ones that are meaningful for us for any particular emotion that we're feeling, we can allow ourselves to channel what we're feeling into those words or to allow those words to help us express what it is that we're feeling in our hearts, which sometimes has difficulty getting out. Um so the ones we say in the morning for Zimra have themes related to loyalty and kingship and truth and trust mm-hmm. and uh, I was thinking what would it be like if if we could Collect a new collection of hybrid Psalms that are related to themes and emotions that we're actually feeling when we go about our day Maybe there's a hybrid psalm on feeling excited because there's something big coming up in your life or feeling nervous or feeling alone uh, What would it be like if you could say one or two of those psalms as your psuche de zimra, as your verses of song for the morning That could orient you set you on the right foot and allow you to be the best version of yourself on any given day So I, I wrote one when I was in rabbinical school and I was very excited about it and um, the project sort of went on pause during COVID, but now I'm getting back into it and exploring all the, the the emotions that are in the Psalms and trying to craft what it could look like to put them together in a meaningful way for Jews today.
0: Love it, and so you're taking the the original text, but then recontextualizing it, or maybe adding some English as well to 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 focus it on a particular you know midot or emotion.
1: That's right. And I'm also rearranging some of the text in the same way, right? The, some of the psuke de zimra is like a verse from this psalm and then a verse from this psalm and then a verse from this psalm put together on a variety of themes. So generally the psalms have like the first half is like, I'm feeling. Alone and scared and God sucks. And then the end of the psalm is like, oh, wait, maybe I can figure this out Maybe I can do this and there's a nice turn But there's different emotions that are embedded along the way in most of the psalms So I'm sort of taking pieces from here and pieces from there and and putting them together in in a way that creates sort of a new Psalm project, Um, but all of the words of our tradition, but then some new prose translations to them. Yeah.
0: I love it Um, Anything you'd like to play us from that? a sneak preview Oh Sure yeah, I can do that. So this one this, uh, was. Wait, is this the world debut of this song, gentlemen?
1: <laughs> this is this is not the world debut. Okay, 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 okay the podcast uh, this one came out on the podcast debut. It came out on on volume three, um, and it was that first hybrid song, the one that sort of started this project and idea for me. Um, it's the only one that has a melody right now, and. Uh, This was a hybrid psalm about feeling alone. It was something that our project assignment was to create your own hybrid psalm that could be used in some sort of pastoral setting. So it's about feeling alone and searching for comfort. Uh, It was very dear to my heart during the the time when I was sort of stuck at my house for many years. Uh, I would think about it a lot. And that's actually when I wrote the the translation for it that appears in the middle of the psalm. it sort of came through when we were feeling very far from each other and uh, it led me to hope that i can try and do that for a bunch of different hybrid songs to, to add my own touch to the words of our tradition too
2: adonai vishavati tavo Al taster panacha mimeni, biom tsarli, biom tsarli. Atelai Atay. yoznecha, biom ekra, maheir ane. Te'erchak mimeni, ki tsarak krova, ki ei nuzer, ki ei nuzer. Achad shaltim et Adonai, otavakeh. Tadonai, you, Hear my prayer, hear my prayer from the dark, I cry out to you. Lost and weary and soaked from tears I cannot see, I cannot see Turn your ear to me in the day I call Don't hide from me, don't hide from me so far away from me and I need you now, what will you say, what will I hear? One thing, just one thing I ask of you, one thing is all I desire. a home i'll build in you now until the end
0: Beautiful. I love it. One of my teachers said that a song <clears throat> or a nigun is like this. Imagine a, a lake with a boat and you start the, the, the tune and you get in and you start paddling, right? You start paddling, you start paddling, start paddling, start, paddling, start, paddling, start, paddling start paddling and you kind of get a little water on you and you try to remember, how do you row again? Yeah, it's been since last summer since I wrote. And then you start you kind of getting out into the water and then eventually by the end, you glide and the ripples calm down and you Mm -hmm. arrive. So I love adding as much space silence as can be tolerated at the end of a nigun or a song. So it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I love it, man. I love that. I love that imagery. So yeah, tell me, if I can unpin you here, I think I know how to do this. Tell me, what do you think really that the, the Jewish world, Overall, what do we need now?
2: The world needs now.
0: Um, okay, okay, big. okay. Hold on. I asked Noah Aronson and Craig Talman in my book that I wrote that question. They both say exactly the same thing. <laughs> so, Mind.
1: When Craig came to that synagogue at Bethel in South Orange, New Jersey, uh, he brought a young pianist with him, uh, this guy named Noah Aronson, to play along mm-hmm. with him. That was the first time I met Noah, too. There you so, go. Sweet. <laughs> oh, all great people. Um, I think that uh, there's a lot of ways that I could take the answer to this question. And I, I believe that most of the foundation of it relates to the core mission statement that I'm thinking about, which is trying to find meaning and inspiration Um Because the work that we're doing in the world is really difficult, and the lives that we're living are hard, and the world today is a tough place to be. Not that it wasn't a tough place yesterday, it was differently tough. It was differently tough a year ago, 10 years ago. But right now, it's a really hard world to live in. And the only way that we can engage in the world and be the best version of ourselves is if we allow ourselves to take advantage of the greatest gift that the Jewish people ever received, which was Shabbat. Right? It's this moment of rest, this moment of recharge, this moment of reorienting ourselves and taking a pause. And so uh, I, I try and utilize that time and that space to give ourselves an opportunity to figure out what it is that we want to do in the world. I think that that, that intention can be found in, in the door, these words that we say every day. I, when I talk to kids at the, in my day school about what prayer is all about, it's about setting an intention and grounding yourself and saying, who do I want to be today and how can I help the world be who I want it to be today? And uh, I think that if we can find a way to utilize our tradition to get us there, to provide us with meaning, with spirituality, with uplift, and with community, we can be the best version of ourselves in the world, and we can do the work that needs to be done. I, I think that that religion can be a, a, a salve for the world. It doesn't only need to do the terrible things that religion sometimes does. And people do, in the name of religion, bad things. And people should also be doing really powerful, positive things in the name of religion in the world. You can walk through the world in any way that you want. But I believe that Judaism has a powerful teaching for us about how we can walk through the world meaningfully and in a way that lifts up the world and makes it better than we left it. So I'm hoping that we can engage with it more, that we don't just leave it by the wayside and say, religion doesn't have anything for me. I'm hoping that people can find within Judaism, the tools, the language, and the skills to be able to be who they need to be in the world.
0: I love it. Yeah, I. I so often when I connect with people and we'll talk about Judaism, religion, and, and so often they'll say, well, you know, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious because religion has such a bad rap, unfortunately. You know, or just maybe historically, there are plenty of reasons that it could get that. And yeah. so, I love that you, that you reframe that. A um, couple of things I was thinking of as I'm I'm watching you here. So I've experimented wearing a kippa, wear, not wearing a kippa, hat, kippa, all sorts of different varietals, even putting on tefillin in a plane, which I don't recommend currently, but I've done that many times, and it always brings up a lot. You know internally and externally so i'm curious maybe you can share a story of you so i'm just guessing you're wearing Keepa out in public well, having an experience uh, that was positive that that uh maybe of recent times or maybe it was a long time ago
1: yeah i think um wearing i've been wearing a kipa since i was like eight years old i think one day uh, I, I wore it at school when I was growing up, and one day I, my mom drove me to tennis practice when I was eight, and she said, okay, you can take your keep off for tennis practice. And I said, oh, I think I'll keep it on. And then it stayed on all the time after that. <laughs> the choice of an eight-year-old mind. Um, but for me, that was a the, the kippa was a reminder to myself that the world is greater than just me, that there's something above and around me that I can relate to, that there's something that I'm in connection with, both God and community around me. Um, And that was really powerful for me. But, and then also I think, you know, sometimes I, I, Jewish paraphernalia can be scary to people when when they're walking around the street and, and sometimes like we said it doesn't have the, the most positive connection for many people um, but I often get into conversations with people not not as much lately because I'm not in public transportation places as much but if I'm sitting in a train station or I'm sitting in airports a lot and people will see the kippah and they'll just come up and talk to me and generally that's a little strange for people to just have random conversations people don't just go up to strangers all the time and have a conversation but they do when I'm wearing a kippah and I would say more than half the time those conversations are positive. Sometimes they're a little intense or a little crazy, but sometimes people just want to have a conversation. And sometimes those people are Jewish, and sometimes those people are spiritual, like you said. And sometimes those people are just wondering what the Jewish answer to this or that is. And I don't know if I should be the representative for the Jewish people, but because I wear a kippah, I am. Yeah. And 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 so I I try and be a proud and positive and and good model of what it means to be a person in the world and a Jew in the world when I can be. And, and keeper reminds me to do that um, and connects me to people around me who've been doing this for, for hundreds and thousands of years. So I, I feel connected uh, to my past, connected to my present, connected to community, and connected to God when I, when I get to wear it, um, not just in my house.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah, I've had, I would say 99% of the time, very positive experiences. I'll tell you a quick funny anecdote. (laughs) So I played in bars for almost 20 years, like six nights a week. And there was a certain point of transition where I started playing Jewish music in bars and Jewish blues. Mm -hmm. And there was this very interesting time period. So I'd hand out this flyer, it said, you know, Saul Kay, pioneer of Jewish blues. And that in and of itself was always the beginning of a conversation. You know, they're like, what does that even mean? Right? So I remember one time I was playing in big fork montana literally in a barn with like peanut <laughs> shells and straw on, on the ground and it was i mean it was very much off the grid okay so i set up my thing i do my thing i'm playing and there's this table in front of me and this lady keeps kind of looking at me and like checking me out and like, i don't know what's going on so finally in between song she comes up to me she goes she goes i'm you. <laughs> like like she was really scared to say it out loud. I said, It's okay. It's okay. So am I. We're gonna make it. But you know, it was just really sweet because it gave her permission to own it, you know, which I think is I love like, that. what you are doing by representing.
1: Yeah. You just reminded me that I have actually given my C D to like at least six Uber and Lyft drivers because the you know, that's one of the places where you're in conversation with a person for an extended period of time. Yeah. And, you know, Generally, they ask, oh, what do you do? Why are you traveling? Or what's that guitar that you are put in my trunk? And I often will say, I'm a rabbi or I'm a Jewish musician. And the conversation gets, what is Jewish music? And uh, what is that about? What are you doing? Are you writing words? Are you writing the words? Are you writing the music? And um, and then we you know, we, we put on the music in the car and we talk about it. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is great. And so I get to like share Jewish music. And the thing that I'm trying to do with people who would have no access or no idea about even what this is uh, if I weren't
0: getting into the conversation with them. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yes. Talk to strangers, right? Talk to strangers. This is how we build bridges. Um, okay. Two more questions. So first question is what, what is, the most challenging? I know you're such a positive person and like everyone feels like it's all sunshine and rainbows and you just come in and bless congregations and it's just like smooth sailing. But really, for people that are really thinking of doing this work and partic- particularly in the way that you do it, right, what's the most challenging part of of it for you?
1: Um. There's a few things. One, I, like I said, I try to be very process-oriented and talk to as many people as possible from the community. Sometimes communities aren't interested in being process-oriented, and they say, hey, you're uh, you're Josh Warshawski, just come in and do your thing, and it'll be great. And it's generally way worse than it would be if we were able to talk it through. Um,
0: now, so can, I think, pa- can I pause on that for a second? So yeah, someone that's listening that doesn't organically understand what process-oriented, meaning when you're coming into a community, you're intentionally creating what you want to do with co-creating as opposed to
1: co-creating setting goals together um deciding what what we want our takeaways to be meeting with stakeholders clergy a committee lay leaders helping people understand and communicate what this is going to be versus just coming in and doing my thing because i can come in and do my thing and it's great but it's never as great um as being able to really think about it with people and that's the other thing: is that it's it's really hard to uh, to translate and communicate exactly what it is that I do, to the average person, let alone the average Jew. Um, People don't understand what sort of like liturgical music or prayer wor- or worship music or music that's in Hebrew. What this is all about and how it could be meaningful to them. And uh, my concerts, in some ways, it's like a concert, but it's also a study session. We're studying the Midrashim, the stories that go with between the texts. We're exploring it together. It's a, it's a for me a transformational experience, and I think it's really moving for the people who get to be in the room and experience it. But getting people in the room is difficult because it's hard to explain what it is that I'm trying to do. So that's what sort of our, our videos that we created with our with the album came out so that we could share a little bit of at least sort of the music and what that's trying to do. Uh, hopefully if people can see that and say, oh, that, that looks really cool, then they'll at least put themselves into the room. But getting people to, to come into the space is, is I think the, the biggest challenge that I have in doing this work because I'm not the one on the ground building the relationships. I have to trust that the people who are there trust me enough and understand what I'm doing enough to communicate that and bring people together so that we can make more of an impact.
0: Yeah, I love it. And it's so important. And so someone is listening to this, and they're starting on the journey of touring around, what's the best practice for them to create that and to allow that conversation to happen in a non threatening way to a community, because they're bringing this person in, and there's a great deal of trust involved, they're like opening up their space, they're opening up their sanctuary, their bema. And so how would you best uh, prescribe to facilitate those conversations? And what works for you?
1: I'm trying something new over the last couple of weeks actually um what led that was sort of um, initiated by the fact that I had a couple of really, really fantastic weekends and then I tried to sit back and think about what made them so great and why were they why why were they so impactful, why did so many people come, Um, and it was because of all these things that people gathered, the the rabbi at one of the communities gathered people for months, once a month, to learn some of the music and build excitement. We met with, they had a whole music committee that was was gathered together and it's hard to ask people to come out Thursday night and then Friday night for services and Shabbat morning for services and Saturday night for a concert but people came to every event event because they knew that this was this immersive experience we were going to be creating together. Um, so I I wrote out a whole a whole kit, a residency kit of things that you should know. I think this is what I would hope to bring. Here's all the information, here's the kind of programs, the tentative schedule that we could do, but here's also what you can expect of me. That I'm going to give my all, I'm going to communicate with you, I'm going to meet with as many people as you want to meet with. I'm going to try and set goals with you in advance. These are all the things you can expect of me, but also there's a paragraph of what I can expect of you. And, uh, and I actually think that that's been really positive and communities have really taken to that, to, to, to noticing that it's not all about the artists that they're bringing in, but there's an expectation on them when they're bringing somebody in to be a good host. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is to, to communicate that to stakeholders in the community, to reach out beyond just your own synagogue and try and build relationships and bring people in to create an atmosphere that'll build success. And so um, communicating my expectations for myself and for them has actually been, been really positive.
0: I love it, I love it, it's great. Here's what you expect of me, this is what I expect of you. Great, so setting all that out, awesome. Yeah. Um, so real quick, just plug yourself, where can people find you and, and what's an easy way to access your works and your teaching?
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, anywhere you find your music, you can find my music, Josh Warshawski. Um and if you go to my website, which is just my name, joshwarshawski.com, I know it's hard to spell, but you can Google it and it'll probably get you close. Um, The website is built so that every song has its own page with video, the resources, free sheet music, um, teachings about the songs, explanations, um, so that you can use it in your community in the the best possible way. The music is meant to be shared. It's meant to be sung. It's meant to be prayed. So I want people to understand where it came from, why it was written, and how everything sort of fits together. So if you're looking for a place to explore a little bit more, that's the place to go.
0: Awesome. We'll definitely dig into all of his music. It is very good, and I do not say that lightly. Those uh, uh, my friends and musical colleagues that know me know that I, I don't. I don't give musical compliments lightly or other compliments. So if, if I say it, you can believe it, and it's really good. I would I was singing harmonies with the song that you were saying right away it's like you have such a sweet key center that and it's also a key that i love so it's definitely music that people love harmonizing with so one quick question i do want to ask you um when you were talking about creating music you said we are doing this right so when you say we is there like a haverai ensemble or a band or is it just you with some other artist what do you mean by that
1: um the group that the created the Chave albums was to me with a bunch of dear friends from all over the place that I brought together. Most of the people are Los Angeles based, but also from all over the country. Uh, and I, I co-write with mostly with my friend Colleen Deeker, who's a violinist and vocalist. And we travel around most weekends together to different places, getting to share and sing and have written a whole bunch of music together. And we're working on a, a couple more songs. Um, and then when we travel around, I try and bring a, a quartet, so Colleen and I and a, my percussionist and a bass player, and so we're workshopping the music whenever we go somewhere, and we're, we're working it and crafting it and exploring it and tweaking it. So that's that's the we of the we of Chavurah and of our
0: Awesome, yeah. Colleen's amazing, amazing. Yeah. Okay, well, just wrapping up here. Any last wishes, blessings, anything else you'd like to say to people as we are coming to a close here?
1: I'm grateful to you for doing this work. I think uh, hearing. Stories of people's rabbinic paths and, and cantorial paths, and just the the things that draws people to clergy, I think is is really important, especially nowadays when uh, we're at a in a time when we're just kind of struggling to to bring people to this path. Um, there are lots and lots of synagogues and communities and Jewish organizations that need clergy, and there aren't as many people who are as interested in doing that work. And I think it's really powerful work. I think it's really meaningful work. Um, i love getting to do it with music but i think there's so many ways to be a rabbi or a cantor or a clergy person and uh and so i'm excited that, that you're sharing that journey with people and i hope that more people feel interested in this and i would love to talk to anybody about this path or any potential jewish career paths uh, i have those conversations with people all the time it's something that i love doing and i love getting to explore that with people so um, i'm happy to be of help if you're if you're interested
0: awesome well thank you so much rabbi i appreciate you i appreciate you musically appreciate you as a friend and i just love seeing you shine out there you know it's just my greatest wish is that we'll have we would continue to raise the bar of prayer of music of community engagement and of of teaching people and sharing with people how much depth there really is in this tradition like i like to think of judaism as this incredible buffet and you can keep coming back as much as you want and there's so many different dishes and there's so many different flavors and there's so many ways to engage and I just really appreciate what you bring to the Jewish world and I just want Hashem to bless you with continued parnasa and Simcha and Shalom and and happiness in your home and on the road so with that ladies and gentlemen we will wrap up the first episode of the Holy Sparks podcast Tune in next week for an interview with Rabbi Joe Black. And for more info, go to our website, holysparks.tv. Shabbat shalom.